Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers who know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and I am DTF, down to Fort. I'm Jason, and my intro was actually revealed back in Season 4, so you'll need to read the wiki if you want to know what it is. I'm Jackson, and my back hurts from carrying the squad, and also because I have back problems. Fortnite set the gaming world on fire back when it launched its Battle Royale mode in September of 2017. Now, over five years later, it is up the ante. Expanding from a Battle Royale and a half-baked campaign to including a LEGO survival mode, a Rocket League-inspired racing mode, and a music mode by rock band legends Harmonix. We're going to talk about all things Fortnite and how live service has changed the world of video games altogether. Let's get into it. Fortnite. It's a game we've talked about many, many, many times via pulling the plug. Probably the game we've talked about the most in pulling the plug, if I had to guess. Well, if we take Jackson out of the equation. Yeah, sure. I was about to say, <laughs> I might beat yeah. that with just me alone talking about Destiny. <laughs> yeah, which, which you know, really fits our theme here because we're talking about live service games and these games that evolve and change over time and sort of you know, feed us that endless content that we're all craving. But we want to focus on Fortnite because that's one that we've all played together a ton. It's one we have a lot of shared experience with. It's one that it's done a pretty sufficient job of reeling us back in every season, always dangling out some new cool skin or something that we got to chase. <laughs> Those Ninja Turtles designs are so cool. Even And the Shredder one they showed off. Every time that there's a new collab in Fortnite, I'm just like, yeah, I get why these guys are billionaires. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, there are definitely some rough ones. Like, some of the Marvel skins look absolutely horrific. But I would still say, like, 80% of all the collabs they do are both really cool properties to do a collaboration with and also look really cool in the Fortnite style. And, like, I don't buy many of them, but I think about it every time. <laughs> I mean, I think one of their biggest strengths is just, like, adapting different styles to look good in Fortnite. Yeah, for sure. Y you look at, I don't know, any of the anime skins, barring Goku, who looks terrible. But, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you look at Eren Yeager from Attack on Titan, and he doesn't look even remotely the same as how he looks in Attack on Titan. He's still obviously the same character, right? Right, right. And I think that... You know, they, they've even had pretty good success with some of their Fortnite originals. I mean, there's a reason that they keep trying to emulate Drift, a skin that came out like four years ago and everybody loved so much. <laughs> they've done like three of the same thing where they were just yeah. like, all right, this is Drift, but this one's a girl. Or this is Drift, <laughs> but this one's... Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> this one's Drift, but he's on fire. Yeah. But I, I think that even more so than it's stylistic choices i think what really set fortnite apart was the fact that from day one it felt good to play it had a completely unique system and it offered up a lot of content right from day one like i think that 
I, I still don't think there's really many shooters, especially third-person shooters, that just feel as good as Fortnite does. Like, the guns feel good to use. The movement feels right, other than some weird stumbling blocks where they've changed stuff for no reason for a little while. Like, this is a game that is just very competently made and is very fun at its core systems, and then they just sprinkle on all this really enticing stuff on top. Yeah, I mean, I think one of their biggest strengths is just how quick they are to respond to feedback. If there's a bug in the game with how many people are playing Fortnite, like, it's going to get reported and hopefully taken care of unless it's related to split screen really quickly. <laughs> or mantling. Yeah, well, like, <laughs> the reason mantling was taken out and added back, or not mantling, but hurdling. Yeah, yeah. That was taken out because there was a bug that just let you teleport, basically from hmm. any location that you've already been that you've uh, hurdled before. <laughs> so like it was broken and they took it out, which sucked because it's one of those features that I really enjoy that I think makes the movement a lot more fun and interesting. I had a whole campaign basically every time that we would play Fortnite, I'd be like, is a uh, hurdling back? <laughs> and then I would <laughs> test it and be incredibly disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And then they just brought it back with no fanfare whatsoever this season. And it feels worse. <laughs> yeah, at least it isn't super bugged now, though. So. Yeah. But, but they're they're also, like, constantly tweaking the weapons, tweaking the balance. Like, they make changes that the community wants. Like, the, the right. beginning of this season, mm -hmm. for example. I mean, people were upset because they, they tweaked the movement speed and the jump height and stuff like that. And, you know, you were a lot slower. You could jump a lot, I guess, shorter distances. <laughs> yeah. Like, you could go the same height, but not as far or something like that. Yeah, and people were unhappy about that. And literally, they fixed it, like, a week later. Or they at least right. had, like, some kind of tweak up to test. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really smart is they, they kind of always move forward. Like, even if they make changes that fans are unhappy with, they don't just revert back to square one. They find a middle ground with the vision for how they think it should improve and what the fans miss. And they kind of go forward from there. Because I think that this season feels really good because it sort of takes this new idea and this new movement system, but sort of meets the previous system in the middle to, you know, still have that speed, but have the versatility of a new system. And like, I, I think that they do those refreshes, what, probably once a year now, and generally speaking they're they're pretty positive like i can't think of many changes they have made that have just like really hurt the game i i know really really dedicated fans get really upset like every season because some weapon is overpowered or some item isn't spawning enough or something like i know that very dedicated players disagree but like as someone that you know we play a lot but we don't take it super seriously I think that they consistently knock it out of the park in terms of refreshing the game in a fun and satisfying way. I'm still partly convinced that was season OG. Part of the point with it was that because there have been so many people saying to bring back the old Fortnite for so long, uh, they brought it back just to show everyone how much better Fortnite is now. <laughs> and then everyone was like, yeah. wow, OG is great. They should do this all the time. So that kind of backfired. Yeah. I, I think that people would get tired of it a lot faster than they think if they if they weren't continuously innovating it like they are i like the og season i'm glad it was only a month <laughs> yeah and i'm also glad it's not just like a recurring game mode because i think that would just be an unnecessary pull from the actually good new stuff 
You know what so. would be a cool recurring game mode though? Fifty v fifty. Bring it back, please. <laughs> yeah. It is it is funny though talking about Fortnite because I think as a video game experience, I have a lot of really positive like I like I, I like a lot about this game. But I also have this voice in the back of my head that's like Hey, we're gonna spend the back third of this episode just talking about how bad Fortnite's impact. Fortnite is probably one of my favorite humanitarian atrocities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the The main thing we wanted to talk about today, though, is sort of live service holistically. So, how our experience with Fortnite, as an example, have changed over time, and then all these new things they've added in over the last couple of months to like really expand the scope so i i want to back up just a little bit i think we go in a little too hot sometimes with like very specific details and i know personally we have at least a handful of listeners with just a way lower baseline experience with video games than we have you're right so Let's start at the beginning so yeah. a video game is basically <laughs> when you control things on the screen and there's generally some kind of win condition at its most basic. <laughs> Imagine a movie, except a much larger percentage of the fans are racist. <laughs> All right. I know uh, back in the day, the video game was just ping pong, and, and there was just like two lines and a dot. But things are way more complicated now. <laughs> two lines and a dot. I mean, that's not even a room these days. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fortnite... <laughs> Uh, so like I said, Fortnite Battle Royale started in 2017. I think the game as a whole launched in 2017 as well. I could be wrong about that though. But it is a third-person survival shooter that spun off into this Battle Royale mode. And we're going to talk a lot about Battle Royales today because a lot of live service games are Battle Royales. And what I mean by that is this is a shooter where it's sort of a free-for-all. Instead of having like teams of like six or seven fighting each other, you have like a hundred players all fighting each other, and only one comes out on top. And normally how that's handled is something like they do in Fortnite, where everybody drops in from overhead, lands on this giant map, and then through some form of threat like a storm in Fortnite, you're kind of forced into a smaller and smaller area on this map until there's only one player left and 99 other people have died <laughs> so it's it's definitely a very it's a game with a lot of tensity like i think battle royales the main reason they're so popular is because instead of it just being like 10 minutes of straight action it's like you have prep and you have travel and you have resources you have to manage and there's a lot more to it than just who is the more precise shot or who has the better reflexes like there is a lot of planning on top of skill and luck with battle royales fortnite is my favorite survival strategy game well it used to be <laughs> Fortnite launched as Fortnite Save the World or something like that, or yeah. they retroactively called it Save the World or whatever, which was a zombie survival mode, which I think could have been really cool, but they turned it into the most complicated game in existence. 
Like, it has multiple skill trees with very, very specific details, and the system for unlocking new things is very long and tedious, and there's just, there's way too many systems overlapping each other when this game should have just been a survival game. Right. It's kind of funny, because playing Save the World makes a lot of Fortnite's, like, aesthetic choices make a lot more sense. Like, the reason that there are llama pinatas all over the place and stuff like that. It's just weird how quickly everything from Save the World was abandoned. Because, like, Save the World launched around the same time that Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, PUBG, got really big. And it was basically abandoned before it was even finished. Yeah, yeah. like, I started... So I played a fair bit of the Save the World mode. Um, about the time that the second or first season of the game was out. I think the second one. And I think by the fourth season, it already wasn't getting any sort of huge update or anything. It'd get, like, holiday challenge stuff, and that was it. Well, Save the World was, like, actually in early access. And it's kind of insulting to the people that supported Save the World that they basically just abandoned it as soon as they realized they'd make more money doing something different. Especially considering, like, there's a lot of broken promises. Save the World was supposed to be free-to-play, like, it was supposed to only be in early access for 2017 and then be free to play for everyone in 2018. Uh, and in 2020, they were just like, nah, you're going to have to pay for it if you want it. Which is a weird decision after you've already abandoned it for two years. It was just really weird because Save the World had a lot of good systems in it. Like, obviously the building has been a big part of the Battle Royale, but I never really cared about it in the Battle Royale. But... In the survival mode, I really liked using it. Well, Save the World had this big focus on, like, building up a fort to protect your storm circles or whatever. I don't remember what they were called. For the night. Yeah, like, at night, zombies would come in and try to destroy your fort. And during the day, you needed to build it up and install traps. And eventually, you got to the point where there were multiple points that you needed to be protecting from the zombies. And you can only be so many places at once, like... There was some strategy and really unique concepts there, I think. And it's just completely gone in favor of the Battle Royale, which I do think makes really good use of the building mechanics, even though I personally am really bad at building. I try to avoid it if possible and play the the zero build mode instead. But I don't know. It's like a lot of cool mechanics came from Save the World, and you'll just have to take my word for it. Because Save the World feels incredibly dated at this point. It felt dated when it came mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense that they abandoned it. Like, I complain a little bit. That's mostly just because I, I would have been interested to see what it could have become. And in another world where PUBG didn't become, like, the biggest game of the year back in 2017, like, Fortnite would be a completely different beast today. For sure. So I think an important piece of context here for why Fortnite Battle Royale like became the prominent force for Fortnite and why it became this huge cultural touchstone for gaming uh, also requires some understanding about what the Battle Pass is. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're also going to talk a lot about those. And those are sort of sort of what we kind of hang our hats on for this, for any given season. So the Battle Pass was first introduced, I don't know, like six months after Battle Royale came out. Maybe not even that long. I think I'm the only one of us that really played this game a lot for the first like half of the f- chapter one when the game really blew up. So I'm going to take this part. <laughs> so the first season of 
for it and I didn't even have a battle pass. Uh, it's still an item shop, but it's very limited. Like only like three or five things a day. And that was it. And it was a really short season, I'm pretty sure. Now, the item shop is stuff you have to pay real human dollars for. Yeah. This is not stuff you can earn in-game, which is important. <laughs> yeah. So a game that was technically in early access, you had to pay money for skins. <laughs> a game that was technically in early access for an entirely different game. Yeah. yeah. But season two is when they first had a battle pass, which, let me put it this way. Do y'all know any skins from the chapter two battle pass, or sorry, the season two battle pass? No, uh, I don't yeah. think so. So I, I'd say a lot of seasons since probably the third or fourth one, there's at least one skin that most people that played the game know. Cause like season three had John Wick. Uh, season two was just knights. They were just like Fortnite styled knights. Oh, I, I guess I do know about the black knight. Ah, uh, yeah, that is a relatively and the most popular Fortnite one. That one was actually a chapter one, uh, or sorry, season one item shop skin. Oh. I did not know that until a few weeks ago, actually. Well, like season one, most of the skins were just ported over directly from Save the World, weren't they? Yeah. And then season two, they made the knights, which were original to the battle pass, but still like the Fortnite style. At this point, like Fortnite had a player base, but it wasn't huge. Season three, though, did something very interesting that... I still attribute to why Fortnite is the game it is today. And he's got two names. They started stealing. John Wick. Season three, while was space themed, so it was a bunch of astronauts, also had a skin that I don't remember the name of. But since they stole it, they didn't call it John Wick, but it did look like a Fortniteified John Wick. Didn't they call it like Baba Yaga, which is what John Wick is called in the movie? No, I don't remember what they called him. They just didn't call him John Wick because they didn't own the rights to that. Yeah. And at this point, Fortnite started to explode. <laughs> at this point, it was probably like relatively early 2018, I'd say, probably like beginning of spring. And and Fortnite was starting to become a household name because of these battle passes, solely because of John Wick, which led to battle passes now almost always having at least one sort of existing IP character in them. Like this current season having Peter Griffin and Solid Snake. Yeah, the the seasons are really wild because I think if you're not playing the game regularly, nothing about it seems necessarily appealing. But if you already like this core gameplay loop, knowing that in three months there's going to be some changes to the map, there's going to be some new weapons, and there's going to be these new skins you can earn. Like, that is enough to just keep you continuously on the hook, which, as someone who has kind of bought into that, I enjoy it. But looking at it from the outside, I kind of see how predatory that is, <laughs> especially when it's stuff that's aimed at children. Like, Well, I mean, Fortnite is 100% based around FOMO, right? I mean, that's what the Battle right. Pass yes. is, because yeah. the skins that are in the Battle Pass never come back in any way like maybe you'll get a, a riff on the skin like when we were complaining about there's like four or five different skins that are basically just drift but x you know yeah like because drift was like the starting skin in the season five battle pass so you can't get him anymore <laughs> yeah yeah like all the battle pass skins are locked forever after that season ends. Right. As of now, there is no way to get skins from previous seasons, which is wild when you consider that iconic characters like Superman and Spider-Man <laughs> are ones included in those. 
Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Iron Deadpool, Man. I think, was one of their biggest skins, too, because there are like three or four different skins that are just popular Fortnite skin, but Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah, there's an entire uh, season that was Marvel themed. So there's like five or so different Marvel characters locked behind a battle pass. You got Groot, yeah. Iron Man, Mystique, Thor, She Hulk, Doctor Doom. Like big names. Like ones that if they were on sale today for like 15 bucks, they would sell millions of. <laughs> yeah. And also, since they were in a battle pass so long ago, they look terrible by today's standards. <laughs> yeah. The style has definitely changed over the, the last couple of years. I think those ones hold up. The ones from chapter two. I think the ones from chapter one, a, a lot of stuff from then, I don't think hold up. I want very you to well. go to the wiki and pull up the Iron Man skin. And I, I'm not talking about when he's Iron Man. Sorry. The Tony Stark skin. Tell me that uh, holds up. It's it's weird. The the face shapes were just kind of wrong <laughs> for like the first couple of years of the game, especially now that they've cleaned it up in a way that's both better looking and more stylized, so it will hold up longer. I'm not trying yeah. to be a contrarian or anything, but I think the Tony Stark skin is fine. <laughs> I didn't like it then either. <laughs> but I think that, you know, this is just sort of one of the hooks that Fortnite has. Like I said, they could sell millions of a skin at $15 a pop, but they actually make more money by making them exclusive. Like, if they lock one in, then that guarantees people are going to pay more attention to future seasons and more likely to invest in the upcoming battle passes so that they can make sure the next really valuable skin they definitely have. Yeah, and that's Uh, what I'm saying about FOMO. Like, it's all about... People that are scared that they're going to miss out on the next big Fortnite skin. Everybody that doesn't have Superman is going to get every battle pass from here on out because like, well, I don't want to be missing Batman or, you know, the next Superman skin, whatever. Yeah. Metal Gear fans are like, this is the most important Fortnite season of all time because it's the only (laughs) time we're ever going to see Metal Gear representation in another video game ever again. (laughs) Right. And, you know, they, they've built this entire legacy on this over five years now. Like, I still think the game is really fun. I think it feels great. Like, two years ago, they did this major graphic overhaul. Like, I think the game is really pretty now. Yeah, when they switched to Unreal Engine 5 at the beginning of Chapter 4, the game got insanely updated in terms of graphics. Yes, yeah. like, it looks so nice. And, like, they've really gone all in on making sure that this is still like a really good and well-made game before all this stuff. But, you know, they, they've continued to expand this whole thing over five years now of just constantly pumping out new skins and new promotion stuff and new events and things that keep people on the hook. And this year, start, the end of last year when they started Chapter 5, they like went all in on this. They basically quadrupled the way that they're trying to keep those hooks in people. So this started as the Save the World multiplayer mode, and then they added the Battle Royale competitive mode, and then now we got Lego Fortnite, which is a sort of Minecraft-inspired survival mode where all the characters are made of Legos, and it's a, I mean, this is like an actual Lego-branded thing, 
Yeah. They absorbed the company behind Rocket League, Psyonix, and made Rocket Racing, which is just straight up a car racing mode. <laughs> and they absorbed Harmonix, the company that made Rock Band. And they've now made Fortnite Festival, which is a, uh, a you know, a Rock Band-inspired music mode. And with all three of these modes, they have their own cosmetics. They have their own like seasonal stuff that are going to feed into them. You can now buy cars and music. And they're making Lego versions of all these characters, which are going to push even more people to buy them. And plus, this is just exploring three new genres. They're going to bring in players that just didn't care about third-person shooters and battle royales. Like I think that all of these games, which we're going to talk about them, like I think they're all sort of in their infancy, but... Man, they are going all out <laughs> to bring in everyone. <laughs> they are. It's certainly unique, like how many different things that they've managed to get working well, I might add. Yeah. You know, rocket racing isn't great, but yeah. no. like Lego Fortnite no. is good. Like it's comparable to right. early yeah. Minecraft, I guess. It's not quite as creative as Minecraft, in my opinion. No. You're a lot more limited in what you can build and the ways that you can interact with the terrain. That's a little lame. But Fortnite Festival is a pretty good rhythm game. <laughs> All three of the games, I still think, are at least a little half-baked. Um, with sure. Rocket Racing definitely being the biggest offender. And then, as a survival game enthusiast, uh, and by enthusiast, I mean I've played like four of them. The Lego mode, I think, is pretty good, but it's still it's missing a good bit. It gets a little repetitive too quickly. I think the Festival mode holds up pretty well, though. It's still something that, like, Whenever they add a new song that I want to play, I'll I'll go check it out. There for a while, I was basically logging on every night to play whatever the new tracks are. But now that we've kind of got through a good bit of what's in the game, I've kind of stopped doing that unless they add new stuff. But I think if, if they do like a, a full refresh like every season, like they change what free songs are in the rotation every season, mm -hmm. I think Fortnite Festival is already where they need it to be. Because... I do think that Fortnite Festival is probably the most egregious in terms of how expensive it is to like buy songs and expand, you know, what you can play with your friends. But between a battle pass, which was like $18, which is wild because even the battle royales is only like 10, but like between the battle pass that gets you some free songs and, you know, you can buy songs from the shop and then if you're playing with friends, you can play their songs too. So, like, I think as this mode progresses and it's, like, a couple seasons deep and everybody has, you know, 10 or 12 songs of their own, like, like I think this is the one that is the closest to the where they need it to be. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Rocket Racing is nowhere. Like, it's it has a long way to go because it's already, the like, the least fun of the game modes, in my opinion, which I love a good kart racer, but I just don't think it... It doesn't feel the best... And I think that even though there are on paper a lot of tracks, you end up playing the same one over and over again for some reason. And the cars are just way too expensive. <laughs> it's like $25 in real money for yeah. one car. Well, it's it's the same prices as they are in Rocket League, you know, the, the soccer game. <laughs> and I think yeah. in Rocket League, when you get a new car, it's a lot bigger of a deal because like, I mean, for years, there were only like 10 cars in Rocket League, basically. And yeah. then you had some licensed cars like the Batmobile and the, the DeLorean. And you had a Mario and Luigi car if you were in the Switch version. The Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters. Like, they had cool ones like that. But for the most part, you were just using the, the original cars that they made for the game. And every car has like so many cosmetics over in that game. 
and there's so much customization that you can do that you don't really need new cars all the time. But I think so much of Fortnite is based around getting new cosmetics that making the cars that expensive over in the Fortnite side of things, it, it doesn't gel. Yeah, which like there there is this idea that you're going to have a shared inventory between the two games, which is why they're going to be the same price between the two. It's just right now that feels incredibly underwhelming in Fortnite because you're way more limited and a lot of the stuff from Rocket League just isn't carrying over. Whether it's going to in the future, I don't know. But right now, it is just not in Fortnite at all. Only one of the original cars from Rocket League is in Fortnite. It's weird. They only transferred over like five cars from Rocket League. But in order to do that and make it work and not suck for everyone, they got rid of trading in Rocket League, which is insane. They were just like, okay, well... People in a completely different game that already has its own trading economy going and lots of stuff already going on, you guys aren't allowed to do that stuff anymore because we want to put the Octane and nothing else in Fortnite. (laughs) Yeah. And I also think there's a much bigger issue we haven't even really touched on here, and that's Epic just straight up bought Rocket League and Harmonix as a whole, or Psyonix and, and Harmonix as a whole. Like, those are two companies that were making a very good product that already had a lot of fans, and they're effectively dead in the water in lieu of expanding the Fortnite roster. Yeah. Which makes me very worried about, like, what the future of Rocket League and Rock Band are. Right. Which I don't play a lot of Rocket League, but I love Rock Band. Like, if they released a Rock Band 5, I would buy it with all the instruments today. And we're probably just not going to get a Rock Band 5, at least not in the foreseeable future, which is which is a real bummer. And like I like Fortnite Festival, and I think it's really fun that we can play a, a co-op music game like not in the same location, but it doesn't even come close to the best moments of sitting around the living room playing the Rock Band instruments like in the same room together. And even in just the past week, Harmonix has said that they're about to be done making DLC for Rock Band 4, which if they weren't bought by Epic, I would take that as, oh, it's probably not going to be too long until Rock Band 5 is coming out. Uh, But since they were bought by Epic, I'm just convinced they're just being moved to working on Fortnite Festival. Yeah. The way I see it, Rock Band 5 doesn't happen unless one of two things happens, which is, is just purely a guess. So like, take this with a grain of salt. If... Fortnite Festival proves to be more profitable than they ever imagined, and Harmonix is able to expand based on that, then I think Rock Band 5 is going to happen. Or if Fortnite Festival is just a colossal failure and they lose a lot of money, I think they'll be put back on Rock Band 5 as like a, well, we know this works, even if it's not as successful as we wanted Fortnite Festival to be. Well, Fortnite Festival's not going to fail because you can play Emo Girl in it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that they are already working on Rock Band 5, personally. I mean, I, I think the reason they stopped working on DLC for Rock Band 4 was it's it's no longer profitable. I mean, right. I think that we were among the bigger fans of Rock Band 4 and none of us are playing it, right? No. Yeah. And I never even bought any songs for it. Right, I only bought like five, and I have hundreds of hours in Rock Band 4. Yeah, Uh, and they've already got through like the big songs that I think a lot of people are going to buy. I mean, obviously, there's so much music out there that there's always going to be at least one song that people are like, oh, this needs to be in Rock Band 4, but they just didn't put it in for some reason. I guess they hate fans of John Cougar Mellencamp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They hate fans of... 
Cat Stevens. Yeah, but I just imagine that at this point they're kind of working with less popular songs, less people are buying them, you know, than people that would have bought the same song back in 2017. It's just a lot of things have changed. And they don't even have anyone making new instruments. Old instruments are starting to fail. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think at some point Rock Band 4 Sport was going to have to end, and I think six years later is a pretty good run. Well, we do know that... um... What is uh? It's not Mad Cats anymore because they are so down. Is it PDP? Yeah, PDP made the the Jaguar controllers. Yeah. Well, we do know that they are working on instrument controls again. We don't know if that's for a new rock band or for Fortnite Festival though. It's probably for Fortnite Festival because they already said that they're planning on having plastic mm. instrument support for Fortnite Festival. I think the big thing they need to do for Fortnite is they need to add microphone support. Because I think that if uh, Fortnite had a karaoke game built in, I think it'd be a lot more popular very quickly. (laughs) I think people like karaoke. They just don't want to admit it. Nobody wants to buy Let's Sing or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But if you already had Fortnite installed on your console, then like, yeah, if you have friends over, you're going to play the you're going to play the karaoke mode. You're all going to jump up and sing a little bit of the weekend, right? I won't (laughs) uh, buy Let's Sing, but I will play Fortnite Festival and play karaoke the heartbreaker. <laughs> I think Fortnite Festival's biggest weakness is the same weakness that Rock Band had, where it's just buying new content for it is so expensive. Mm, because right. like the cost of licensing out a song and also needing to make a profit because you already have a bunch of songs that are being licensed out for free essentially. Like yeah. it's so expensive. Because like with music when you license it out, you have to license out if it's a song that's just in a game, right, and it's just something that plays while you're doing something else, it's one thing. You just need to license it for the game. And that's still thousands of dollars, like, even just doing that. From my understanding, if you want to license out a song that people can actually interact with and change, I'm pretty sure every individual user of the game has to have their own license for it. That's at least been my understanding of it. So that's a lot more expensive than just licensing a song to play in the background. Right. I mean, they're they're looking at, if I had to guess, minimum several thousand dollars they have to pay for any given song. And like bigger songs with certain labels are going to be significantly more expensive than that. Yeah. And they want to normalize those prices because they don't want to have big songs cost like eight bucks and small songs cost like three. Right. Right. And I think right now in Fortnite, it's like, what, five bucks? It's 500 per bucks, song. Whatever that is. Yeah. Evens out at about five dollars, I think. It's it is wild like how expensive music games are and it's really crazy to think they honestly it's shocking they even exist if i'm honest like to to understand the the production cost of something like fortnite uh, or fortnite festival and something like rock band i'm shocked it makes any money at all but man it is it is not sustainable for me at those prices like Fortnite Festival's biggest strength, I think, is going to be the music rotation. And I think if it's just a little bit more generous with that, I, I think that this could be like the one game mode that really has a future. But I mean, they could really double down on Lego Fortnite and Rocket Racing as well. And those could expand into something much bigger. I think Rocket Racing has a long way to go, though. Like I have a hard time picturing a, a much better version of that. Yeah, I imagine from a corporate standpoint, Lego Fortnite's kind of the most important. I, I think that that's going to be the game mode that draws the most people to the item shop, which is what right. they care about at the end of the day. 
I don't know that Fortnite Festival is ever going to pull people to buy cosmetics and stuff like that the same way that Lego Fortnite will. Right. Yeah. Because if yeah. you can get a Lego version of Captain America, you're going to get it. <laughs> but also, <laughs> yeah. Lego Fortnite is the one that drew in the most amount of people. And it was it was beating out the Battle Royale for, I don't know if it was a full week, but it was a good, it was at least close to a week after it launched. Yeah, and I think that the reason it kind of fell off so hard is because people kind of got to the end of it. Like, it is a survival game, so, like, it technically goes on forever, but I think it took people about a week to, like, max out their bases and kind of see, like, what the biggest structures in the game are and get some of the highest level gear and all that. And I think that's sort of, if they can keep expanding the upper limit, I think LEGO Fortnite has this huge future ahead of it. But it's going to need very consistent updates it's going to need updates at a much faster rate than something like minecraft gets updates yeah which i think epic has the capacity to do that it's just a matter of will they yeah another part of the thing is just survival games are still kind of a niche thing they're not you know as widely popular as like battle royales or just shooters in general but you know you add legos into that draw you're gonna get a bunch of people in there i think lego also attracts children more than adults and children for sure yeah Children, it's easier to sell things to them, but it's harder to get them to actually spend money generally because they they don't have any of their own. They don't have it. (laughs) It's harder to get kids to spend money on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Which that's something we'll certainly come back to a little bit later in the episode. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's even something Jackson's experienced, right? Didn't didn't our little brother buy Roblox, Robux or whatever on your account at one point? Yep. That's the whole reason my Xbox has a passcode on it. Yeah, I I think that just to kind of circle back though on Fortnite as a whole, like I think it's it's such a fun game, and I think that them adding these new game modes strictly from a player perspective is really cool because now we have that much more to dig into. Like you know we were playing just the battle royale three or four nights a week, and we have been at least on and off for years now, but I think that adding things like Fortnite festival and lego Fortnite is that extra boost it needed to where like if we're getting burnt out on battle royale we can you know switch over and play a couple songs together and like that's really cool i just really wish it didn't have to come at the expense of like harmonics as a company mm-hmm. and like it doesn't have to be so egregiously monetized i mean i hate to say it i i don't know that harmonics would still be around like if they weren't bought out by someone like epic or at the very least, I think that they would have an expiration date. Yeah, yeah. I can get that because Harmonix, I, I, do they make anything other than Rock Band? Not they have, but it's been a while. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they have, uh, I don't think Thumper was them, but there was another similar music game. And like Rock Band is a very niche title because not only does it require the fact that you just want to play music games, which isn't something a whole lot of people do, you also have to buy instruments for them which is going to cost more money than just buying the game so jackson i want to tell you something that's going to blow your mind rock band one was the highest selling game of the year the year it came out really yeah dang uh it's one of like three games to ever dethrone call of duty or a a gta game in like the highest selling game the problem that rock band runs into is that they have to license out people to make the plastic instruments it's not about getting people to buy them Having backwards compatibility does make it harder to get people to buy them if they can just use, you know, the Rock Band 4 instruments or whatever for Rock Band 5. I think yeah. a lot of people are using Rock Band 1 instruments to play Rock Band 3, you know? 
but they still have to license out development and production of entirely new instruments every time they make a new game, which eats up a fair amount of costs. <laughs> and then they have to license out every single song. I I don't necessarily know that a Rock Band 5 would be as lucrative as like Rock Band 1 was back in the day. Even now when there's just significantly fewer games in that genre coming out. Yeah. It's it's just it's really hard to picture what the future for that whole genre is. And that's kind of sad. Between like Rock Band 1 and Rock Band 3, that era, we kind of knew this was something that was going to keep going and then it just kind of stopped. <laughs> well, I mean, there were so many of them. It was like when uh E.T. came out, and it was the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, and just crashed the entire market at the time. Yeah. Same thing basically happened with Rock Band 3 and Guitar Hero World Tour or whatever. I don't I don't know exactly which games it was at this point, but there were just too many of them. They were coming out every year. Nobody wanted to buy all of those. Yeah. When you get to a point where you have a whole music game that's just based around Aerosmith, you're kind of losing out on a large portion of your audience. Like, not to say that Aerosmith is a bad band. They are. But <laughs> the number of people <laughs> that are into Aerosmith versus the number of people that are into... The concept of music. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're probably honing in a little too much on the, the Fortnite Festival piece of this. <laughs> I think it's just the game mode that we like the most. <laughs> it, I mean, for sure. For sure. But I also think it's the one that it has the most potential in its current form. Like, I think the other two could definitely be expanded upon to be interesting. But right now, I think Fortnite Festival has the biggest future ahead of it. Mm -hmm. It's also very funny to see clips of people online playing songs as, like, Peter Griffin and Thanos and Goku. <laughs> and like, I like all the memes know. where people are talking about uh, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. <laughs> yeah. And they'll have, like, Raiden, uh, Kratos, Isaac Clark. And Nathan Drake, uh, Nathan Drake, <laughs> all in one rock band song or on a squad in Battle Royale. <laughs> yeah. And it's time for PlayStation All-Stars to come back. You know, it was, it was such it. a hit the first time. <laughs> I liked it the first time. I mean, I played a lot of PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. I, I think there is a version of it that could be good. I think it was just bad Smash Brothers the first time around. I think it had yeah. interesting mechanics. Like the, the thing where you could only kill people with your ultimates or whatever. I thought that was a cool idea. And I think that the characters that were in it were so much more eclectic. <laughs> which is yeah. on one hand yeah. bad because it means that there are fewer fans for any individual character. And also there was two of one character for some reason because they couldn't think of enough characters to fill out the roster. And the DLC yeah. was terrible, but yeah, it was cool running around as a guy from Killzone that I've never heard of before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's enough Fortnite talk for now. We'll we'll definitely be circling back. Uh, let Let's jump over to some headlines. We're we're bringing them back. A blast from the past. It's like 2021 up in here. So we start off with some big news for Nintendo fans, potentially. You know, it feels like we've been hearing constant rumors that the Switch 2 is right around the corner for like three or four years now, but something changed in 2023. Like it, the, the rumors were getting a lot more specific, they were getting a lot more detailed, 
and things are kind of pointing towards the Switch 2 might actually be happening in 2024. The most recent thing to really sort of cement that is that there is now a projected price point of $400, which, you know, was about what I expected anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's slightly more expensive than the Switch is now. I don't remember what the Switch yeah. launched at. Was it 300 or 350 350 So it's a little bit more yeah. expensive, but it's also... From everything I've heard, a significant power increase. I've heard it get compared to the PS4, which is a huge jump. Because the Switch, I would say, is pretty comparable to the Wii. Yeah, it's so funny because people were like, comparable to the PS4, that console came out in 2014. I don't think they've seen how big a PS4 is. They're going to put all that in a tiny little handheld thing. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) Imagine carrying a PS4 around with you everywhere. Yeah. Also, though, like... The PS4 could do just about everything short of, like, ray tracing. (laughs) At least graphically, like, I don't think that there's too much further you need to go with uh, handheld gaming. I mean, on a screen that small, games like Uncharted 4 are going to look insane on a Switch. And it's also, that's comparable to uh, Steam Deck. And I don't think anyone is upset about the Steam Deck specs by any means. When people talk about the Steam Deck, they're like, oh, wow, it's so powerful for the price. I think that it's going to have like a quick turnaround. Like I think we're going to see games that are going to launch on this console and we're going to be blown away with. And then I think it's going to fade to a point where we're like, oh, this needs to catch up to modern consoles even faster than the Switch did. But at the same time, like I think this is a good starting point. I think this is a reasonable price for it. If we're actually getting it this year, which I I really feel like we are, I, I think that this is going to be what fans want. Like, everything we've heard about this console suggests it's going to be everything good about the Switch, but turned up a little bit. And, like, that's, that's enough for me. Because I love the Switch. I don't think the library is expansive enough, but in terms of functionally as a console... I think the switch from portable to a home console thing is just so valuable that I will take whatever sacrifices I need. I'm very interested in what games are going to be like on the Switch 2 or whatever, because I feel like games on the current Switch, which is not great hardware, already look and run very good for the most part. Like even Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom run really well. They stumble into some frame rate issues. Those are probably... The most demanding games on the Switch, I'd say, like of Nintendo yeah. games. Like there's like third party games that don't look great, but that's because they weren't designed for a console with the hardware from 2007. I'll be interested to see what happens when Nintendo has a bigger push to actually get into the world of HD gaming. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the reason that Legend of Zelda looks so good is mostly due to they knew the kinds of art styles that you could use that would cover up the weaknesses of the Switch. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason it's cell shaded and I mean, I think it looks great and I think the cell shading is a really nice look and it's going to make it age a lot better than a lot of other games. I mean, it's going to look a lot better in 10 years than we think that uh, Twilight Princess looks now, right? (laughs) Yeah, that game is rough to go back to. But at the same time, it would be interesting to see like an actual HD, like good looking Legend of Zelda game that actually looks good because of its texture work and its model work and stuff like that. Stuff that the regular Switch just can't keep up with the same way that I think the new hardware is going to be able to. Not to say that there's anything necessarily bad with most of Nintendo's output. I mean, I, I can't oh, no, think of any no. first party Nintendo games barring Pokemon that like look bad, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah. and I mean, here's the thing. This could be like the most powerful console of all time, and the next Pokemon game is still going to be absurdly ugly. I mean... <laughs> yeah, and this could be the most powerful console of all time, and Mario is still going to look like Mario. Like, It's always going right. to have this colorful, cartoony, really rounded look to it. And I'm not expecting yeah. that kind of thing to go away. I'm just kind of excited no, to shouldn't. see what you know, the next Metroid game looks like. Yeah. Yeah, Metroid Prime was already really great looking. If Metroid Prime 4 is, like, released pretty early into this console's lifetime and it does sort of make use of that improved hardware, I think, like, that game is going to be gorgeous. Like, I, I think it's going to be on a whole nother level for Nintendo because every Metroid Prime game has pushed the pushed the limit to the console it was on in a very, very cool way. And, like, I'm, I'm excited to see what that could mean for a future console. Yeah, and I think Metroid Dread did the same thing of really pushing Absolutely. the hardware. Yeah. Metroid Dread, I mean, I recognize it was 2D, so it wasn't quite on the same level in terms of detail, but, like, that game is gorgeous. Like, one of the prettiest games on the Switch. Metroid has the advantage of it only, they only needed to actually model things on, like, one side, basically, but yeah. it's still a full 3D, 3D game. You know, yeah. it, it was yeah. designed in 3D, it was, you know, it plays in 3D, it's just fixed camera is the bigger thing. Right. Yeah. Moving on from Switch rumors to Swift conspiracies, the Argyle director, uh, the the new film, had to step out and say, no, Taylor Swift did not write the book <laughs> that inspired the movie. And uh, it's real wild how we even got here in the first place. <laughs> I like how the internet will just come up with the most wild conspiracies. They're like, oh yeah, this songwriter that's never written a book before in her life, he's the one that wrote the book that inspired this movie. There's a really interesting quote by the director, Matthew Vaughn, who says, there is a real book, and it's a really good book. And there is an Ellie Conway who wrote that book, but it's not Taylor Swift. And I say that because I imagine Taylor Swift has a load of people trying to jump on her bandwagon left, right, and center. I don't want to be a part of that club. I did read the conspiracies, and I was like, wow, they don't leave a stone unturned but it's not Taylor Swift. She definitely didn't write the book. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read that again in a, in a more convincing tone. Uh, wow, they didn't leave a stone unturned, but it's not Taylor Swift. She definitely didn't write the book. <laughs> wow. What? I don't know uh, whose side I'm on anymore. <laughs> what, what started these rumors? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a really difficult thing to pin down. Um, there were there were links between her music projects and the author, Swift's history of wearing and selling Argyle sweaters, <laughs> and the fact that she owns two Scottish Fold cats, the same breed of cat featured in the film's trailer. Clearly enough, where I think they're just lying about who the actual author of the book is. Well, wait, it does go further to say that the cat in the movie is uh, Matthew Vaughn's own family pet, and the reason that he adopted it is because they saw Taylor Swift's cat in one of the documentaries on Netflix that she did. Okay, you know what? I'm back on board, uh, and I actually understand why the Taylor Swift fans came to this. Because I have, you know, I, I have a lot of Taylor Swift fans in my life. And Taylor Swift does this really interesting thing where she'll put out a new music video or even just post something on social. And it'll just have, like like a capitalized letter that's out of place or there will be like one number that is emphasized in some really minute way and taylor swift fans will be like 
ah, well, that number seven is the date that this other video released. And in that video, she was wearing this, which was a reference to this other, this, this movie she liked as a kid. And in that movie, the main character's name is this. And the, that's the same name as this person she dated in this. Like, like and it'll be like the craziest, like it'll sound like the most deranged thing and it'll make absolutely no sense, but it's true. Like, like the, the fans are right. Like they'll follow this absolutely deranged rabbit hole and they end up being correct. That that was somehow her like revealing when the next song is coming out or something. The closest thing it reminds me to is all the theories on Lauren's story in Five Nights at Freddy's. Taylor Swift <laughs> is the purple guy. <laughs> I think that there is some level of overlap in terms of Taylor Swift fans and Five Nights at Freddy fans. <laughs> Not in terms of people that like both, but the way that fans of both of those things handle the things they like. <laughs> I think the difference is Taylor Swift does a lot of weird stuff intentionally, or at least works with people to make it as weird as possible how she announces like a new album. Uh, yeah. The Five Nights at Freddy's guy... I think that he just goes with whatever the community says. <laughs> yeah, he just drops the ball and then a fan figures out some weird way to like tie everything together and he's like, Yep. That's that was it. How did you know? <laughs> yeah. Or he'll be like, Well, you were close, but you actually missed I changed one detail from your ten page paper that you wrote on why this guy holding a phone is different. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, like, there is sort of another layer to this whole thing that is perplexing here in terms of the author ellie conway that is a pseudonym for someone <laughs> like there like there isn't this person doesn't seem to have any like real presence but it is based on a real book by a person who actually is also writing under a pseudonym so it, it just it is, is bryce dallas howard <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what we want to that's what we want to find out she was Specifically, it is Bryce Dallas Howard writing this book with the intention of becoming the star of a movie about this book, but without ever telling anyone. Well, <laughs> like, I, I mean, like not even the director say, knows it's actually her. Didn't the book just come out this year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the book just came out in September of 2022, and there's already a movie adaptation. So I see the publication date as one nine twenty four. Oh, actually, no, you're right. That's what you're Penguin right. Random House says. So yeah, like, well, it was supposed to come out in 2022 and then get, kept getting delayed. So. Yeah, there are people like Matthew Vaughn knows the author, right? right Presumably right. pretty well to decide yeah. that he's going to make a movie on a book that wasn't even like actually out yet. He had to have gotten <laughs> yeah. an early manuscript or the book was just written for the movie. Yeah, I can't believe I'm yes. getting into conspiracy theories now. <laughs> <laughs> right. This book is an industry plant. <laughs> So, the plot of the movie, isn't it that Bryce Dallas Howard's character writes a book that ends up becoming true or something? Yeah. Right. She writes basically a mystery novel that is so compelling, like, conspiracy and plot of it are so compelling that real-life organizations... No, no. It's it's that her books are, like, predicting what they're going to do, basically. Like, she's writing books and... Then yeah. the events of those books are actually happening. And like so, they're after her because they don't want her to publish a book that's going to reveal like a major plan or something of a terrorist organization. Okay, so oh, okay. I, I don't think it's a movie based on a book. I think the book is a tie-in to the movie. Because Bryce Dallas Howard's character is Ellie Conway. 
Yeah. Right. So I think the book is just supposed to be the book that she writes in the movie. And then the movie is it being real. Yeah. And the book Hmm. is an industry plan. Just to drum up advertisement for the movie. It's like when Ant-Man Quantumania came out and there was like in fiction... Scott Lang wrote a book and then they published that yeah. book in real life saying Scott Lang wrote it when it wasn't like Scott Lang's not even a real person. Um it's what? that kind of thing. Like also <laughs> uh that book had to be AI written. Like I I saw some passages from it online and it was just like the cheesiest and most unnecessary nonsense, which I think is fine as like a one-off joke, but you're paying like $15 for a one-off joke that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> You're paying more than you did for the movie ticket for a movie that was a one-off joke. Yeah. That movie sucked, by the way. I'm going to use every platform I get to talk about how much Ant-Man Quantumania sucked. Well, it did get nominated for a bunch of Razzies. Which is the first time a Marvel movie has been nominated since, like, Elektra, I think. Like, it's wild. I was hoping it would be Thor The Dark World. I hate that movie. We don't need to stop recording. I'll be back just in one second. Okay. Wait, we don't need to stop recording? That's what he said. We're just going to sit here with dead air? No, let's fill the air. We're going to leave this all in. This is going in the okay. final edit. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm back. <laughs> uh, I wasn't long enough for it to be funny. <laughs> well, we're going to get to the bottom of this whole Argyle incident. We'll keep you updated. Yeah, we got to do some more research. We got to do our own research. <laughs> This this next article is definitely one of the most interesting I've read, and it's also one of the most deranged. So, Rockstar is trying to sue Remedy for copyright infringement because of their logo. The problem is, both of their logos are just kind of the letter R. <laughs> In a and, block font. <laughs> right. It's, I don't get it. Like, Rockstar's is, like, the R, and there's a star on the end of one of the legs of the R, and then Remedies is, like, kind of, like, a distorted R. But, like... They're very clearly different logos. How in the world? Well, I mean, I get it. I've been working on drafting up our lawsuit against Tesla for a while. I mean, they have a T in their logo, just like we do. According to the article, though, this this whole thing has been resolved, which is good, because it's absolutely stupid. I think Rockstar is just such a big company. They probably have like a legal company that's like, let's see what we can get into. I I think uh, here's my theory. They they did it out of spite. Uh, they were really mad at Remedy for making a successful game last year, uh, and not working with them anymore. That they did it out of spite. <laughs> well, isn't Remedy talking about making another game with Rockstar? Aren't they remaking the first two Max Payne games? They are being remade. I don't know if Remedy has anything to do with that. That might just be Rockstar. This is one of those things where I feel like this probably wasn't meant to be a big public move. Like, this isn't something that looks good on your company, no matter what. Even if I think there was legal precedent behind what they're trying to do here, I don't think that going after a company like Remedy is going to... Like, I don't think it's something that benefits Rockstar in the long run, regardless. I think this is something they wanted to stay behind closed doors, be like, give us this amount of money or we're going to make a big stink about this. And, like, Rockstar's too big to fail. So, like, this isn't going to hurt them. Like, e- like even bad press isn't going to hurt them. But at the same time, like, this is just 
like this just reinforces that even if they make a product you really enjoy and then is made by artists that really put a lot of passion to what they're making, they are still owned by this giant corporation that's incredibly greedy and self-serving. And that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think this was necessarily Rockstar anyways. It was their parent company, Take-Two. And Take-Two is dumb, litigious. <laughs> I don't know why they would want to get litigious around anything involving Rockstar because honestly, like, they get in enough legal trouble just as it is. I mean, there was the whole yeah. thing with like Lindsay Lohan claiming that a character in the game looked like her, but it was actually based on Kate Upton or something like that. Which I don't remember how that went down, but it's very funny to be like, no, 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 that wasn't your likeness that we illegally stole. That was this other person's likeness that we illegally stole. Uh, I hope Florida which... Joker wins his lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> Rockstar it just. Again, I recognize they make great games that people really resonate with and have a ton of fun with. But at the same time, like, this just sucks. Like, the fact that companies do this kind of thing instead of, like, just making the best games they can sucks. And, like, and like we just talked about Remedy extensively on our last episode of the podcast about how they are a company that just makes great games because they want to make great games. There's no, like weird limitations and restrictions and they're not pandering like they are making what they want to make so here is an important thing about it it's not rockstar that was trying to sue remedy it was take two specifically but here's the thing you're missing is it's not rockstar that was doing it it's take two their parent company uh, take two interactive my point is just that like well i already said that is what i'm saying oh okay <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it that also is like a, a big thing is like I I think that most of the problems I have with modern video games as as like the video game landscape isn't developers, it's publishers. And I think that Take-Two is an especially well-known one for being uh pushy and aggressive and releasing things that they shouldn't in pursuit of quick cash and I mean, look at how bad the the remakes of the the last Grand Theft Auto remakes were, or how many just like awful microtransactions they're constantly throwing into GTA Online, and you know that's that's just one of those things. Which again, we're gonna circle back on live service games, and GTA Online is definitely gonna be part of that conversation. So do what you will with that, but yeah, it's just I don't know. This thing just like this this article more than anything this this whole event just makes me mad video games as an industry should be about making good games that are fun to play and publishers make it this very like litigious and aggressive and anti-consumer thing which like is going to happen i mean it happens in every industry yeah but it's just especially frustrating here take two is kind of like the boogeyman of the uh the gaming industry just with their frivolous trademark disputes that i would say like they tried to claim that they own the word rockstar they own the word bully like there's a crap ton of games that i've seen where it's like oh we wanted to name our game this but then take two was gonna sue us and it's it just makes more sense to change the name instead of fighting against them in some losing battle because it's like even if you beat take two in this argument it's still just a waste of time and resources Anyways, I guess what we at TBM are saying is, uh, f take two. <laughs> Speaking of waste of time and resources. Oh, this next game. This is brutal. 
Come on, you can come up with a second half of this transition. Day Before is one of the wildest rides I feel like we've been on in the video game industry in the past, I don't know, two, three years? When was this game revealed? I hadn't heard anything about it until like last September. It, well, it was revealed a long time ago and then promptly forgotten about. And people right. would just periodically check in and be like, oh, yeah, I guess that still exists. Like, I would see articles sometimes that were like, yep, it's still happening, allegedly. <laughs> it's weird, too, because yeah. it was the most wishlisted game on Steam ever. I don't know if it still holds that, but it did hold that for a while. Then it was originally supposed to release in, like, spring 2022, and then it got pushed back to fall, then got pushed to spring of... 2023 then to november of 2023 and then december of 2023 when it actually came out look i'm not trying to say that gamers are always wrong here but i saw like the trailers that people were talking about and they were like whoa this game looks incredible it just looks like the division like like i don't know how you could look at that and be like wow this is going to be one of the most incredible games of all time it looks just like a game that came out in 2019 and it got a lot of flack well, for that because a lot of people were saying it looks just like The Division. Uh, it was found out that a lot of the assets were just used from, I think, the Unreal Engine store. I think that's the engine that the game used. And then the more that they kept releasing stuff about the game, the less it seemed like what it was originally promised to be, which led to you know people kind of trashing it a lot online, especially after the game came out. And it was not a survival open world MMO, but was an extraction shooter. So because of all the flack it was getting, its developer, uh, fantastic. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, no, there's only one a somehow the second (laughs) one. Fantastic. They recently took to Twitter to be like, why are people saying this is not the same game? This game is exactly how it was, but, uh, doesn't include some minor parkour. Uh, so the game only existed for 45 days, and it's already it's already being shut down. I'm going to read one particular paragraph that I think is really funny and really encapsulates uh, everything that went wrong here, you know, time and time again. So, in November 2023, seven months after it promised no more delays, Fantastic delayed the day before again. This time indefinitely, though its PC version would arrive in early access a month later. This launch did not go well, as players flagged that essentially nothing Fantastic Promise was actually in the game. And finally, just four days after launch, when the player count had dropped 90% and the day before entered Steam's worst 10 games of all time list, (laughs) Fantastic announced it was closing down. So, uh, this game was in development for years, finally launches, it's nothing like they said it was going to be, it runs horribly, it is not fun. Then the company closes down. Game was only live for 45 days. Everything about this is just a colossal failure from a marketing standpoint, from a development standpoint. Everything about this is just absolutely atrocious. Uh, game, game. This game is going to be looked back on as one of the worst things to come out of the gaming community. And I think that is incredibly funny. It's just like an obvious rug. Like, they right. knew that they didn't have the things that they were promising. And best yeah. case scenario... They were lying because they they thought that maybe they'd be able to get it done in time. And worst case scenario, they were just like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we, we'll still get their money either way. Right. This, Which didn't even end up being the case. They had to refund it. Like, yeah. they were required to refund it. Well, it wasn't even Fantastic that was the ones that decided or, like, spoke about, about refunding it. It was the game's investor, Mytona, that was like, hey, we're going to refund everyone for this. 
very sorry this happened. Which I do wonder where the like the catastrophic failure was. Was this a developer like leadership was promising a different product to investors? Was this like investors were putting so much pressure on the developers that they just had to release something this atrocious? Like I do want to know where the actual like the big mistake happened. I mean, it seems like this is something that was bad from top to bottom, but at the same time, I do want to know if there is like a if there was like one specific domino that fell that turned this into such a mess. I'm so glad you asked that because the developers actually did come forward and they said that the reason the game failed was <laughs> there was a hate campaign by bloggers. <laughs> yep. It was the bloggers. <laughs> they came out and they said the game was bad and there were many people. I mean, you're, you can't, we don't have any examples or anything like that, but the, so many people came to us and they said, we love your game. You should keep it running forever. We love this and we didn't even want the refund. But those evil bloggers, they said, we're going to kill F-Fantastic. Yeah, the, the funny thing is... Such a good read on their name. Uh, the, the developers said it was like the experiment where you have to count pink objects in a room and then recall the blue ones. But the funny thing is, like, all the pink objects that they promised would be in that room, there were none. And the blue ones weren't there either. There were only, like, orange ones there. It was just an empty room, but it did have animations when you eat food. So Avatar Legends of Pandora or whatever can't do that. I almost feel like I missed something by not playing this game like during that time, though. Like, I, I, I almost feel like I just I missed out on a cultural touchstone by not playing it myself. Yeah, I really wish I would have at least tried it just to see how bad. But following the whole story of this is absolutely insane. I don't want to get too much into it on here because we could probably spend a whole episode on it because it's absolutely wild how much stuff there is. But basically, the developers started making a game like six years or so ago and were basically just completely promising stuff that never ended up being in the game. Naturally, it didn't do well because of that. <laughs> well, you can keep saying bad stuff about it. We only get paid if we make sure people hate the day before. It's true. Oh, wait, are we recording? So let's talk about Microsoft. They hit a tremendous milestone in the last last week where they are now the second $3 trillion company. Second largest company ever at this point. And that sounds like it's good. Like, that sounds like it should be a, a, a positive thing for yeah. that company, for all of its employees, for, you know, for the industry and the types of things that Microsoft makes. I can only imagine after this that every uh, Microsoft employee is getting a free Xbox Series X, a free PC, a uh, life subscription to Game Pass, and a very big bonus. That's what's going to happen, right? What if they instead got paid a livable wage? Mm, no. no, sorry. We're going to fire <laughs> them, actually. Yeah, not only did it hit a milestone of second... Uh, biggest company ever in terms of value. Um, also probably hit a milestone in biggest layoffs this year with uh, 1,900 people. <laughs> you know, we're already, I think we're already at the halfway point of how many layoffs there were last year in this year alone, which isn't having, which hasn't even been a month. The amount of layoffs happening in the, the tech and video game spaces 
are just baffling because I understand like on paper why this happens. Like I understand on paper why 2023 was the biggest year for gaming ever, but it also had the most layoffs ever. Like as someone that understands this is all market, you know, this is all the market. I I get it. But as someone who like someone who doesn't work in an industry that is like product based like that and works in an industry that isn't like they are making, you know, like they are making art. And then once that art is finished, they're just done. Like, this is just incomprehensible to me. If my company makes a bajillion dollars, I don't necessarily get my cut. But at the same time, I know my job is safe. Whereas in the video game industry, somehow your company shipping a a game that sells an insane number of copies might mean the end of your job. And that's insane. A company reaching its highest profits ever, CEOs getting huge bonuses and pay raises, but workers getting laid off at the same time. Because that, that's how things should be. To play devil's advocate, of course, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say up front, I think that these layoffs are egregious, terrible, bad. They did just acquire another company that is doing a lot of the same things that they're doing. I mean, with Activision Blizzard King, you know, like they have marketers, they have customer service people. Like there's probably a lot of people that were working at ABK that are now part of the Microsoft team and Microsoft doesn't necessarily need, you know, a second, a second arm of its company. That's just entirely devoted to producing new games. I think they went about this the wrong way. Yeah. I think it's going to suck when they're hiring back people to do the exact same jobs for, you know, a quarter of what they were already paying people. Mm-hmm. I feel like that should be illegal, honestly. I think if you let go of a position, there should be some kind of, like, limit before you're able to hire someone back for that position, right? Unless you have cause. Like, if it's mass layoffs like this, then you shouldn't be able to hire new people for those same positions until, like, so much time has passed or something like that because it just feels like these companies are taking advantage of people and abusing the power that they have it's not like people are going to stop applying to work at microsoft right like everybody wants to work on the next halo or everyone wants to be a part of the windows team or yeah (laughs) there's just so much it's such a big company i mean second biggest company in the world that like of course they don't have any shortage of new applicants yeah, I mean, the, the the end of the day, like, this is going to be an even bigger year than last year, even though it's going to have even more layoffs, and the, the video game production market is going to be even more volatile. Well, okay, that's that may not be true. This, this year might actually be one where there is less money made on video games than previous years, just because last year had so many AAA hits that sold millions of copies, and I don't think we're going to have that again. But at the same time, we're definitely going to see a lot of layoffs. And I think the fact that there are going to be less AAA releases like that might mean it's going to be even worse because there's going to be more companies like Microsoft that are going to be trying to, you know, sort of trim that extra cost until the next big game can come out. And Microsoft, as far as I know, doesn't really have anything in the near future that's going to be like a huge AAA seller. Microsoft just had one of their biggest years But the problem is that, like, it doesn't matter how good of a year you have because the next year has to be even more successful somehow. Right. Right? Because it's all about the investors and they don't care about 
how much money you're making. They care about your growth year over year. Right. There's just so many like fundamental problems with the way that large companies like this work in general that it, it just feels like average people are stuck paying the price for things that should be, you know, billionaires problems to deal with. Thank you, late stage capitalism, for all you've done for this country. I don't know. It's just, it's upsetting to think about. Like, as someone that loves video games, but it's not in any way responsible for my well-being, it's just like, why can't it be simpler? And I know why it can't. And I know why it's not. But it's just frustrating to hear that, like, this is, they, like, these people made a really, really great product that made a lot of money for the companies yet those companies are going to turn around and lay those people off. And like, there's no, like, like I know people can justify that to themselves with like, you talk about return on investments and what that means for the shareholders. Like I, I get why in terms of dollars in the bank, why that, that, why that makes sense. But it's just so frustrating as someone that doesn't have any investment in it from that side. It's just like, they made a good game. They should be rewarded, not let go. And like that, that feels so obvious, but it's just not how it works. And that sucks. Yeah. Layoffs last year were crazy. They're going to be more crazy this year. So we're circling back, talking about live service and everything that it's done for the, the world of gaming, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Although I... I I suspect we'll mostly be talking about the second and third one from that list. Pre-2017, we were already seeing a, a major shakeup in the world of games with a bigger emphasis on DLC and content that would keep people coming back to games after the initial release window. And, I mean, that harkens all the way back to, like, the 90s with some early MMOs and you know, the early 2000s with things like Counter-Strike taking over the, the world of gaming. So, like, there has already been this space for recurring games that keep people coming back well before Fortnite and Battle Royale games ever came onto the map. But I do think that there was a massive, massive shift that happened in 2017. And just looking at this from a consumer standpoint, I don't love it. <laughs> Yeah, I think the transition where every new game that comes out has to be live service is maybe one of the worst things that's one of the worst things that's happened to the industry in a long time. <laughs> Barring like yeah. layoffs as we discussed earlier. Right. Um, like it just feels like every game that comes out now comes out in an incomplete state. It's just copying another game that's already come out, and then most of the time the game gets shuttered just a few months later in some cases i mean yeah. we've seen games that shut uh, the day before i mean we just talked about it that game got shut yeah. down 45 days after launch or we're seeing developers put other games on backholder just to never be made at all so they can make a live service like respawn with titanfall and apex legends we're never going to see titanfall 3 every time there's a rumor i will believe it but we're never going to see it and like I liked Apex Legends at launch. Like, I think it was a really good take on the Battle Royale formula. And it's still alive and kicking. I mean, not with a, not with an audience anywhere near Fortnite's level. But, like, it still has a good following. Would I rather have a Titanfall 3 that has a really good campaign and a pretty solid multiplayer? 
Yes, 100%. And yeah. then there's also um, there's Naughty Dog, who recently announced that they were stopping development on their live service game set in The Last of Us World based off their old factions multiplayer. And it's been four years since they've made a new game. So it makes me question, like, would we have seen one sooner if they weren't working on this? No. Or would we have seen two other different remakes of Last of Us Part 1 and 2? That. Now that one. <laughs> I think they would have been yeah. really into. And I think one thing that's most frustrating to me personally is the fact that it's not just free-to-play games like Fortnite and Apex that are being affected by this. It's games like Destiny, which is, you know, it, it has live service in its DNA, which is fine. And like every year they put out like a major expansion, which is like a full price game, basically. Like that would be one thing. But Destiny launched for $60. A year later, they put out an expansion for another $60. And they learned quickly that $60 a year isn't enough. So they started doing season passes that are like $10 every three months on top of $60 every year. Then they added the dungeons like twice a year, which is like $15 more every year or every six months or whatever. And like all in all, to get the Destiny experience at launch was $60. Right. To get the Destiny experience today, like when they drop this newest expansion in June... It is going to effectively be $130 to get everything that the next year of Destiny has to offer. I guess you can get it like a discount for like 100 if you buy it all at once. Yeah, if you buy it all at once, it'll be 100 which is how they loop you into spending $100 on stuff that you may not end up liking. <laughs> yeah, and Destiny has other issues too. Because a lot of that content isn't even guaranteed to be around in a few years, with Destiny in particular. No, because right. the way they've done their seasonal model... The seasons only last until the next big expansion. So, like, when Lightfall came out, beginning of last year, it had a season that launched with it, and then three others following. One we're currently in is going to last until the new expansion. When the new expansion releases, all four of those seasons will be gone. Yeah, no way to play it, no way to even watch the cutscenes unless you're going to go skulking Mm. around YouTube. And even then, Bungie really likes to take down those cutscenes, but they will not post them anywhere themselves. They started doing that, (laughs) and they've only posted, like, three. And it's also, even if it wasn't for the seasonal model, like, the fact that they took the original campaign of (laughs) Destiny 2 out of the game entirely, along with the the first couple DLCs, like, that's crazy. That shouldn't be allowed. I I paid for those DLCs. I paid for that base game, and it's just gone. And I know that they've said, like, oh, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. We realized that that was a bad idea. It's... You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Oh, no. They never said it was a bad idea. They just said that everything from Shadowkeep onward was too integral to the story. They never admitted that they did a bad idea. That whole decision to just remove major chunks of the game, like that harkens back to this idea that it is shareholders that are effectively steering the ship, not the developers. There was a push where all the games getting too large in file size, so we need to cut that down, otherwise people will... You know, people won't, they won't keep playing it. They won't keep downloading the new updates if we, if we don't shrink it down. You know, we, we need our server, we need our queue times to be as low as possible for this new content. So we need to cut this old content that will get people to refocus on what's, what's new and shiny and what we make the most money on. And like all that stuff is already bad enough. And then on top of that, they sprinkle in one of the most egregiously overpriced cosmetic systems I've ever seen in a game. All of this is on a game I already paid $100 for. 
like a hundred dollars a year for basically and like that just drives me insane the pricing of destiny it's been worse since activision was out of the picture in all honesty well when activision was still around they had someone to give them money right between like their big releases and now the only money that's coming into bungie is when something drops right yeah and you know, like they're not making any money unless they have a new cosmetic that costs you know twenty dollars for one armor set or a new skin for your your ship or your sparrow or whatever the heck like everything is based around making as much money as possible because Bungie isn't exactly super profitable without no. a producer behind them and or a uh, publisher. I don't think that the, what they're pushing is as valuable as like something like Fortnite anyways. Like Fortnite, for example, you could just straight up play as Geralt from The Witcher. Right. If you played one particular season like six months ago or whatever. He was included in a $10 battle pass. To wear armor in Destiny that vaguely resembles Geralt from The Witcher is like $30. It's it's 20 bucks and it only works on one character. And it's a first-person game, oh. so you are not going to see it. Yeah. The value proposition there, even detached from the fact that it's all cosmetics, is just not good. And again, I have already paid $100 for this game this year. Yeah. Like, And even then, with something like Fortnite, you get enough of the in-game currency from that battle pass that you could just theoretically only buy one battle pass and never buy another one. In Destiny, that type of content, like the Witcher-themed sets... You cannot get that currency in-game. It is only available with paid currency. I actually did the math once, which I think they've adjusted a little bit since then. But, like, if you complete two battle passes in Fortnite, that will give you enough in-game currency to buy the third battle pass. Like, like if you don't pay for two battle passes, but you still get to, like, level 100 or whatever in two seasons, that will give you enough currency to buy the premium battle pass for the third season. And that third season will give you enough in-game currency to buy, like, the next two seasons after that. Fortnite has sort of... It's still scummy what it's doing, marketing this stuff to kids. But at least it's generous enough with the currency that you only... Even if you want to experience the Battle Pass, you still really only have to buy, like, one every four seasons or something like that. Destiny, that's like $13 a season... End of end of discussion. Unless you buy it with, the like, the, the special edition or whatever, where it's, like it evens out at like $9 a season or something. And I, I feel like we're talking a lot about Destiny in particular, but it feels like every live service game has at least some issues like this. Mm -hmm. For sure. Where it's just like, they'll have a battle pass. And the battle pass is generally good stuff. It comes with new content, new cosmetics, new whatever. And then if you want to buy anything that isn't in that battle pass, it's ridiculously expensive. Mm, like right. Fortnite, it's like, 1500 V-Bucks to get any actually good skin that's in the shop. Which is about 15 bucks. Final Fantasy 14 is the exact same way. If you want to get new cosmetics for your character, you can earn them by playing the game. You can play the expansions. It doesn't have a season pass, but it does have an item shop. And if you want to buy anything from that item shop, it is ludicrously expensive. And it's all just cosmetics that you're buying there too. It's Genshin Impact, same way with new characters. Like, there's yeah. stuff you can earn, but if you want to buy Aloy or something like that. Yeah. I think it's hard to talk about games like Destiny in discussions like this, because Destiny has the advantage of it has really strong gameplay, and then it's just monetized with cosmetics to be absolute garbage. The issue that I really have with a lot of games these days is 
They base so much of the game's design around you continuously picking up the game and playing it day after day after day that you end up with a far worse game than you would if it was just a normal game that was based around you also having that item shop. It's these poorly implemented RPG mechanics in every single game. I mean, the big one that comes to mind is Avengers, where there was Mm -hmm. 50 numbers that you had no idea what they did or what they meant. (laughs) without looking them up gotham knights which didn't even end up actually being a live service game but it was so obviously designed to be one yeah that's another thing gotham knights and the campaign for halo infinite were for one gotham knights i guess it was never explicitly said it was live service but it was very clearly supposed to be one had lots of elements of one just as if they never decided to update it after Halo Infinite's campaign was straight out said that it was going to be like tacked on to for the next 10 years and it's been out for two years and we've seen nothing. And you can really tell by looking at these games how that fa- how they faulted from that because Halo Infinite's campaign was not as bad with it. But at least to me, it seemed very clear that the reason that the map in that was just the same landscape over and over again is because each time they had a content update, it was going to be kind of a new biome of the ring. And there's never anything like that. And then Gotham Knights yeah. is just tacked full of like looter stuff that is just useless. Yeah. The big thing with these games is that you don't get any sense of progression due to those mechanics. Right. Right. Like, I don't think you feel significantly stronger at the end of Gotham Knights than you do at the beginning. Not even in a live service game, but it's so emblematic of these issues. I, I guess Anthem was a, is another example where it's like it has these RPG mechanics. It's like, oh, the number next to your gun goes up. But it doesn't matter because you're still doing the same amount of damage to the new enemies that are popping up at the same time. Yeah. A- another game that I think really, really highlights that is is Genshin Impact, which you mentioned or briefly earlier. Like the 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 way it gates you from getting more characters is really frustrating. But it's it's even more frustrating because I think that Genshin Impact is a really good game at its core. Like, I think it is a very fun world to explore. It has a really interesting combat hook where you can switch characters on the fly. It does a lot of really good stuff to expand upon that, like, open world exploration-based game like we saw with Breath of the Wild. Like, I think it has a lot of really, really good ideas, but it's it's held back not just by the fact that you have to spend real money to keep yourself progressing at a good rate. It's also held back by the fact that, like, every time you log into the game... There are daily quests that are so important for the resource management that you feel like you have to spend the first 30 minutes you play every day just going to X, Y, and Z spot on the map and killing these enemies. And then like once you get through that and you allocate those resources correctly, make sure you have the right lineup, then you can go play the game as it's intended to be played. And like if you don't do those things every day, you fall behind. Mm-hmm. Like your characters just aren't strong enough to keep pushing the story. And that really sucks because like if this game launched as like a full price premium game with like 20 or 25 characters or whatever, and like you unlock them all just by playing the game, I think it would be a tremendous hit. But the Hoyoverse as a whole is making so much money from these now like three distinct live service games that they have no incentive to make a premium game. Like, they make more money by making an intentionally greedy product than they would from making a good product that sells for $60 one time. And that sucks. Like, I I don't know what the solution is. Like, I think it's only going to get worse. (laughs) Well, and then you have some games like Overwatch, which is a full price $60 game. 
At least was. No, it's free to play now. But also, cosmetics were locked to loot boxes that you did not get too often and you had to pay real money for if you wanted to get them regularly. And, like, it's free to play now, but it's also doing the season model, of course, because it's got to get its money. Well, now they have, like, bundles of items that you can get, and they're ridiculously overpriced. Yeah. even just single items. I mean, we mentioned Diablo, but, like, didn't Diablo have, like, $40 horses? <laughs> and it's just one horse that you can use with one character? Something that I think is really crazy about live service games is how many of them will just launch in an absolutely unplayable state sometimes. Mm-hmm. When it really seems like if you want to have a successful live service game, like, shouldn't you put your best foot forward? Like, don't you need to pull people in and actually get them to, like, enjoy the gameplay? Well, like, I think the reason Destiny is so successful is because... Even if the story stuff isn't great, and it, I it, I don't think it ever has been. I think Destiny 1 had the issue where all of the lore was told through cards that you collected in-game, but then you could only read them on the website for some reason. And Destiny 2, I think, is just so... It's just spread so thin that I think unless you're like actively working to keep up with it, you'll never be able to. Yeah. Destiny, like the gameplay was so good. And that's what got people to pick up a copy and come back. Like, even if you didn't care for the story stuff, I think that the gameplay of Destiny was so good that it made people want to come and play Destiny anyways. I think when you compare that to Fallout 76 or Final Fantasy 14 at launch, I mean, GTA Online at launch, like, I don't think that these were complete experiences and I don't think they were very good in most cases. I mean... Final Fantasy XIV was so bad at launch that they took the game offline for months to completely rework it, and then they came out with a new campaign and everything. Like, Final Fantasy XIV, as it launched, is gone. A Realm Reborn is a completely different game. And it's a lot better, but I don't know why they think they can release these games in these terrible states. I feel like this is part of the issue that Fortnite has had on live service, because... A lot of developers aren't looking towards something like Destiny that hooked people in with just solid first-person gameplay that is best in class. They look more towards item shops, thinking, if we make a game that has an item shop, people are going to spend money on it. And they base it on Fortnite, not thinking the reason Fortnite makes money is because they have Peter Griffin. Because, like, Apex Legends, for instance, it is a good game. It is fun, but... It's kind of a character shooter. So all the skins in the game, which are the same price as Fortnite skins, are variants of pre-existing models that are mostly just color swaps that aren't going to make as much money as a new IP, or not a new, an existing IP being added to Fortnite. I'm interested to see how Apex does with this whole Final Fantasy crossover they're in the middle of right now. Like, I know that, the skins in it aren't one-to-one characters like they would be if they were in Fortnite. But I, I do question, like, a skin that looks vaguely like Yuffie or Aerith or whatever might mm. still be... Like, that might be a sign of something much bigger that's going to shift in right. the Apex world. And that's another thing. Where Fortnite is so big, developers are not going to want to license their characters out to any other game because they're going to make the most money right. off of it off Fortnite. So if they... If they do it to, like, Counter-Strike, they're not going to get as much money. That's the reason something like Apex, which is backed by EA, so it has a bunch of money, and Call of Duty Warzone, which is Call of Duty, 
can do more crossovers than anything else that, other than Fortnite because they already have a big player base and a big backing behind them. But, like, who's going to buy a John Wick skin in No Man's Sky when you can buy it in Fortnite? I, I think at the end of the day, the biggest issue with live service games is that you'll sink so much time into it. You'll sink your money into it to buy cosmetics and stuff like that. And then you're not even really guaranteed that the game's still going to be running a year later. Right. Because servers might get shut down yeah. and all that stuff you spent money on, it's gone. Which, I mean, is I mean, eventually is going to happen to all of them. They have shelf lives. It just might be way, way, way out there in the future. I think there's a lot of reasons that those games could basically, like, reset. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that something could happen where Epic feels pushed to make Fortnite 2 instead of to continue expanding Fortnite 1, and then everybody's just... Well, Destiny 1 servers are still up, so you can play any content you bought for it. Eventually, they are going to shut the servers down for Destiny 1. Once again, insane to me that you can play the entire campaign of Destiny 1, but you cannot <laughs> play the launch campaign of Destiny 2. The mo- You can't play the most important campaign of Destiny 2, which is absolutely insane. Well, we've already talked about live service games and Fortnite and all that jazz for a, a long, long time. But I do want to end on a on a relatively positive note here. You know, as as bad as live service games have been on the games industry as a whole, and as as ridiculous as it's made monetization, and as negatively as these changes have impacted the actual games themselves, uh, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> Because these games make way too much money to fail. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I think there is a a world where live service can be good. The issue is, for most developers, it's not about putting love and craft into a, into a product. It's about how much money can we squeeze out of this rag. I mean, I think the problem is that they do just look at all their live service games as products. Nobody right. goes into making a live service game with just, like, passion for, right. like, this is the game that we want to make. Right? I think Destiny kind of did, and I think MMOs can sometimes, but it feels like the vast majority of these live service games are just, I mean, let, let's look at Fortnite. They're, they said, huh, PUBG is making a lot of money. We could do that with our game Fortnite and right. make a lot more money than we're making now. And suddenly Fortnite's a battle royale. And the biggest game to ever exist. In the early 2000s, the late 90s, late 80s, even, like people saw games like EverQuest and they were like, People are really starting to enjoy these MMO things. Like, we should make one. And then suddenly, in the 2000s, you had every every freaking company out there had at least some MMO running. There was a Matrix MMO. Like, and it's canon to the movies. But who <laughs> wanted a Matrix MMO? People just wanted like a regular Matrix video game. But yeah. there was 400 MMOs out there, and most of those MMOs are dead and buried at this point. Fall Guys came out and suddenly you see all over the place there's like 10 fall guys clones on the playstation store (laughs) and it's like nobody's playing any of these but everyone's hoping that their fall guy clone is just as successful as fall guys because hey it worked for them maybe it'll work for us and make us a crap ton of money that's not how good games get made good games get made because people that are passionate about telling a story or they want to share their ideas of like how the gameplay of this game could be changed or this genre, like whatever. Like it's people with ideas and hopes and dreams and people that like make the game their baby. 
And I don't think that there's anybody out there who, I don't think there's anyone at Roblox who looks at Roblox and says, this is a positive game that is going to have a good impact on the gaming landscape going forward. I'm making Roblox because I love Roblox and what it could do. (laughs) Right. And like, I've had a lot of really positive experiences playing like Fortnite, for example. Like, I mean, we play it together a lot and, you know, I feel like we interact with each other much more frequently and are closer because we play the game together so much, but that's not Fortnite's doing that could be any other game (laughs) like it doesn't have to be just because it has like a a shared experience moment doesn't mean it has to be a shared experience moment around a game that is so greedy and it's having such a negative impact on the landscape as a whole yeah it's like i love playing fortnite with you guys fortnite's fleecing us i mean straight up (laughs) robbing us (laughs) yeah i paid like 20 dollars to freaking have a skin that looks like Raiden from Metal Gear Solid 2. Why did I do that? <laughs> it did rob me. A whole bunch of skins that I bought just disappeared one time. Yeah, we get it. You fell for a V-Bucks scam. <laughs> one thing I was kind of worried going into this conversation was I, I didn't think there was anything like actionable or helpful in it. And like I, I definitely feel that now where it's just like these games suck and like they are having a negative impact on games as a whole. Well, bye. <laughs> like I, I don't know how I don't know the positive spin here or how to close this out other than just to say, uh, really, really put your money on the games that tell the types of stories and have the types of gameplay you want. And if there's a game you're just vaguely interested in, don't buy its battle pass, even if it's just like ten bucks or whatever. Like play the game and make sure you like really enjoy it and are getting something else out of it first before you start dropping money on it. Do not buy Destiny 2. <laughs> yeah, don't even start. We're too yeah. far in. We never should have gotten here. <laughs> I I will never recommend this game to any person that exists. I love this game. If you're no already play playing it. Destiny, it's one thing. But if you have not played Destiny 2, do not buy Destiny 2. It is 100% an un- it's an incomplete story that is designed to take money from your wallet and yeah. nothing else. Don't don't play games like Fallout 76. You know, just because the idea of Fallout but multiplayer sounds cool, it doesn't mean it's going to be good. Yeah. Don't fall for the sunk cost fallacy either. <laughs> At a certain yeah. point, you need to realize that you need to pack up your bags and leave. Yeah, that's what I've done with Destiny. Yep. I, I plan to play Final Shape since I have been playing this game since close to the beginning. Uh, as of now, I am not planning to play it after that. Anyways, I'm trying to get you guys to play Final Fantasy 14 with me still. <laughs> Anyways, we're yeah. all going to get really into um, Knockout City. Nope, that one is no longer available. Hypers- nope, Hyperscape's gone too. Uh, Hyenas, nope. Hyenas was canceled before released. Well, at least we can all get together and play our favorite cart game, Chocobo GP. <laughs> we can all uh, start playing um, Rumbleverse. Well, I think it is time to to send this episode on to pasture <laughs> and pull the plug. Jackson, what is something else you've been into? Well, since this has been a pretty lengthy episode, I'm going to try to keep this pretty short. Uh, we do know, however, at any time me or Jason says that, it does not keep short. <laughs> 
Um, however, this time I'm talking about a show which, notoriously on this podcast, we don't speak about shows or movies as well as we do games. Which that's saying something. So recently, and by recently I mean last night, I maybe the night before, honestly don't really remember. Um, I'm going to start my part with this verbatim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were just like, I'm going to keep this short. It has taken you 15 minutes just to tell us the name of the thing you're talking about. I finished the first season of True Detective. Which uh, started watching it because the newest season, Night Country, started coming out. And everything I'd seen of it so far, like from promotional stuff and what I'd heard about the first episode that was out at the time, uh, seemed really interesting. And I thought, you know, it's an anthology show. I'll just start there, tune in weekly. But I thought, you know, I'm not watching anything else right now. So I will watch the whole show. So started the show and finished season one. And it is... Real, real good. And the highlight is definitely Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey both playing two completely different weirdos on different sides of the weirdo line. Matthew McConaughey's character in this might be the weirdest character I've seen in anything. I don't know how to describe him other than someone that I don't think would ever exist. He does exist. Matthew McConaughey's like that. <laughs> and uh, Woody Harrelson's just playing like a kind of crappy guy. <laughs> Woody Harrelson's playing, you know, the Woody Harrelson character. They did a good job at casting for this because they do a good job at playing themselves. So what's the actual hook of True Detective? Like, what is special about it compared to any other detective show? I guess, I guess is what I'm not clear on. So I'm not too sure what would be different about most detective shows um, because I don't watch a whole lot. The only thing I can really compare it to is like Criminal Minds or NCIS because that's the only other detective stuff I watch. I'm going to guess those are bad comparisons because those are police procedurals. And I don't think that this is a procedural. They're that kind of like monster of the week type thing, except instead of a monster each week, it's a new criminal. Oh, this is how people would describe X-Files if they had never seen any other TV show <laughs> before. Uh, True Detective <laughs> is pretty simple in premise. It's basically just there's this case that uh, the two main characters, Marty played by... Woody Harrelson and Rust Cole, played by Matthew McConaughey, are trying to solve um, in Louisiana. There's basically just been a chain of murders happening for the uh, past little bit. So they're trying to solve it. And it's basically just a show about how their personal lives affect that case, and that case affects their personal lives. So you see how they change over time as the case unfolds, and how the case unfolds over time. And how those two things are kind of just interacting together. It's really interesting to see how like all that unfolds together. And like how that all comes together in the end. It's also very nice because where it is an anthology show, you know like it just ends there. Like there's not more to it. I do understand though that Night Country has a lot of ties to the first season. Not like a direct sequel from what I understand. But there is stuff like tied to it. Uh, which is interesting to think about so i'm not sure like how that's gonna go because night country is only two episodes in so far it's interesting that it's all just like this neat little package that tells a very concise story with multiple characters that are fully explored and fleshed out and it's just really nice to see something like that i like that the thing that got you to finally watch one of the most acclaimed tv series of all time which i'll be honest i haven't seen it either was just them making a new season I can't wait for Sopranos season 12 or whatever to come out. So Jackson finally comes up and he's like, I started the Sopranos. I mean, I think that's a pretty normal thing. 
are, are they Twin Peaks the return the return I mean I, I think that's pretty normal that if a show releases a new yeah, season it's going to yeah. draw on more viewers for just the show as a whole especially considering how many ads I've seen for for Night Country mm-hmm. like it's it's probably the show I've seen the most ads for out of any show in months so. but moving on to what I've been playing this week I think I talked about it over a year ago I played Uncharted 1 and I really liked it I thought that the ending was a little disappointing. I, I wasn't super into the Nazi zombie thing at the end, but oh, spoiler for Uncharted 1. <laughs> spoiler for Uncharted 1, you should skip it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not like, great. It, it, I'm sure it was fine at the time, but I didn't play it for the first time until like 2017, and that is not a game you play 15 years later. That is a game that stays in the past. It needs a remake very, very, very badly. I think when people nowadays are talking about how bad the Uncharted games are, they're almost always talking about flaws of Uncharted 1 primarily. Yeah. Because I think that they got significantly better as they went. Oh, for sure. I haven't played Uncharted 3 or 4, but everything I've heard... I mean, I remember when Uncharted 3 came out, and it was a phenomenon in a way that I don't think the first two even were. And I remember when Uncharted 4 came out, and it was crazy. But anyway, the game that I played was Uncharted 2. Uncharted 2, I think, fixes almost all of my issues with the first game, except for the too much combat part. I think that the shooting is a lot better, the cover mechanics are a lot better in Uncharted 2, and the big thing is just the story is so much more bombastic and crazy. I mean, just the way Uncharted 2 starts with Nathan Drake already just hanging from a a train in the middle of the Arctic or whatever, (laughs) like, it's crazy. It's an incredible start. It's... It feels like it really sets the scene for everything that's going to happen going on. And you spend the first half of the game just like, okay, well, this part's cool and all that. He's in the jungle, but how how did he get on the train? (laughs) So there's this like mystery kind of thing going on the whole beginning of the game. When the new uh, characters that get introduced, like Chloe, like I, I think that they're interesting and fun. I think that it keeps the more supernatural elements to later into the back half of the game which is something i really like i felt like uncharted yeah. 1 had too much of just the zombies and it was the worst part of the combat and i feel like yeah. uncharted 2 kind of avoids that i think the series as a whole just gets away from like the weird kind of supernatural stuff in general 3 and 4 have almost nothing that really fits that category and i i really appreciate that yeah i mean i think that the reason they had all that is just that's what Indiana Jones was. And it very much wears its Indiana Jones inspiration on its chest. It feels like when you have the flashback to a younger Nate at the beginning of Uncharted 2, like a lot of that reminds me of the second Indiana Jones movie where it's just like, he's different there than he is now, right? <laughs> like when yeah. he's interacting with other treasure hunters, he's not the same as he is when he's hanging out with just Sully or when Elena's around. Like, it's it's kind of interesting seeing how the character changes. But Uncharted 2, it's really good. I think it's a ride throughout. I don't know how you would have gotten this far without of hearing about how good Uncharted 2 is. <laughs> I'm excited to play Uncharted 3 and especially Uncharted 4 because I, I just put them off for so long. They were games that... Well, one, I didn't have a PS3 when the PS3 was relevant. And I've just kind of put them off ever since the PS4 re-release of the games. They're definitely... I think they're best played with a fair amount of time between them. (laughs) 
Like, I think part of the reason I like Uncharted 2 so much is because it, it was so long after playing Uncharted 1 that only the really strong feelings I had about it were still, like, fresh in my mind, and the other issues I had were had kind of dissipated. If you haven't played Uncharted 2, I'd recommend giving it a shot. Even if you haven't played Uncharted 1, I would just recommend watching a YouTube video or reading the plot synopsis online or something. I played through the entire series. Uh, well, not the spinoff, but like the four main games. The ones where you actually play as Nathan Drake. Mm-hmm. That was like my first like COVID game. <laughs> um, I really, really enjoyed everything in the series after the first game. Like I feel like the first game was just a slog to get through. But as soon as like the opening of two and on like the whole series is just phenomenal i think three is a little too long for its own good but other than that like i think uncharted 2 3 and 4 are all exceptional and like that's that's not something i can say about many series that like it just consistently knocks it out of the park like that yeah and i think uncharted 2's biggest strength is just the variety of gameplay i think it interspaces the it, it, it spaces out like the shooting parts and the climbing parts and the puzzle parts a lot better. I think there's more of the puzzle and climbing stuff in Uncharted 2 than Uncharted 1. You, you know, say what you will. I think those are the strongest parts of the game. I mean, the oh, combat I is really weak. I, but when people yeah. complain about Uncharted, they're always just like, oh, it's just climbing here and there and following where the story tells you to go. And it's like, yeah, that's fine every once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, I like a good linear game if I like the story and the world and the characters. And I don't think one has that going for it, but I think the rest of the series does. So, I like I think that Nathan Drake is kind of slandered as being this like really generic, boring protagonist. But I think the evolution that he goes through between Uncharted Two through Uncharted Four is really, really cool. And I think that even though a lot of the game is climbing, you're climbing through such interesting environments that I'm okay with that. <laughs> like climbing up the train is one of those unforgettable moments in gaming. Like that rules. And the opening of uncharted three is also really cool. And like uncharted four has some of like the coolest moments I've ever seen in a video game period. They're visually really cool. They're, they're always keeping you involved in like a really exciting way. And I, I don't know. I just think that, I think Uncharted series rules, and I think that a lot of people that criticize it, I mean, like, it's one thing if you're just completely against that type of game, but I think that people talk about it being, like, boring and uninspired too much. Like, with Indiana Jones, I've seen so many people saying, like, it should be a third-person game, and, like, every time that happens, there's criticism that's like, oh, do you just want another Uncharted it's like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I want. I want an Uncharted game where I am playing as Indiana Jones. I want an Uncharted game where I don't have to play something made by Naughty Dog. Yeah, it's Final just... thought on Uncharted 2. Should have had more Sully in it. Yeah. <laughs> He's the highlight of the whole series. He goes, the, Every game has like some upsetting amount of time he is not in it. <laughs> I love Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> not enough Tom Holland in any of them, though. <laughs> But, Jordan, that's enough about Uncharted 2, I think. Uh, What have you been up to? Uh, I am one that I admittedly don't watch a lot of TV. I just have a hard time sticking with the series, and I've been pretty burnt out on a lot of Disney Plus' stuff lately especially, but I finally found a series that's gotten me back on the app in a pretty big way. Uh, I have been watching Percy Jackson and the Olympians. 
as someone who was a big fan of the books, but haven't really thought about them too much since reading them as a kid, I, I think it does a really, really, really good job of adapting what worked in the books, bringing it into the modern era, and just making it look the way it should. This is a show that's well-directed, well-acted. It has a really great visual style. They took some. They had some really interesting depictions of some of the more mythological stuff that I think like really sucked in the movie. But I've been really, really liking it so far. I, I really hope this is a series that expands out to at least cover like the original series. I guess it's confusing because there was like one series about Percy Jackson, and then another series about Percy Jackson, but with different gods. And then there was like a third series about a different set of gods that I don't even know was canon with Percy Jackson. So like, I guess there's a lot in this like Rick Riordan God universe to get into, but I really, really hope we at least get the five seasons to cover like the original run of the books, because so far it has just been incredibly well done. Has it just been the first book so far? There's a, The first season's only seven episodes, and it covers the first book. I think... I mean, I, I could be misremembering. I think it has pulled in some like themes and things that didn't get introduced into later books originally, but not in like the same way that the movies did, where like the first book had stuff, or the first movie had stuff from like the fourth book, and then the second movie was like a weird amalgamation of like the second, fourth, and fifth books, or something weird like that. Like the second movie was so bad. Yeah, it is stuck truer to the source material, but I do think it's still doing some stuff to sort of set up some future stuff more so than the books did originally. I admire them actually working with teenage actors for this. Yeah, and they are all incredibly talented. Like, I think that all three of the main cast are are so good at what they do. How are the special effects? For the most part, like, surprisingly good. Uh, there are there are some moments where there's like a lot of CGI and it's not great, mm-hmm. but for the most part, they've actually kept it pretty understated in a pretty cool way. Um, like the only thing that's like consistently showing up on screen that CGI is Grover's legs, but like almost everything else in most episodes is practical effects. Is the pen to sword thing? Do they do that? Does that look cool? They do. Um, I think it looks pretty cool. I think the it always intentionally de-emphasizes the transition because they know it would look bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I think like it's it's handled pretty well and it has some pretty cool actiony moments. From See, that, I always so. pictured it as the the blade comes out of the sword and then it gets wider, like it, like it's like a rapier blade at first and then it grows into like a long sword. I think this is more like it just kind of expands out in all directions. It's not uh, quite that, but I think it, it's still handled pretty well. So. See, this is the problem with adapting books. My imagination's cooler than whatever they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think it's been really great. I don't know that this is necessarily something that would have a lot of mileage with someone that hasn't read the books. But as someone that did and was a big fan as a kid, I, I think it does a really good job of you know, keeping it true to the, like, the, the tone, but still, like, doing a good job of picking, like, what should be in a, a modern adaptation and what shouldn't and how to make better use of, like, you know, what to prioritize and, and all that. So I, I've been really, really liking it. I'm really excited for more to come. I think it's already got, like, two more seasons confirmed. Um, I would imagine they're going to try to do five. I mean, I, I'm sure they could reasonably condense books two through five into two seasons if they really wanted to but 
I would imagine they're probably going to stick to like one season per book. If I had to, guess. I mean, them getting older as the books go on is kind of important. I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would hope yeah. that they they take a little bit of time to let their actors age up. <laughs> yeah, I just know that that's that's a hard investment. Yeah, you, and there's a lot of uncertainty. So I think it's been especially common that shows have been filming multiple seasons together to try and prevent mm-hmm. any issues happening with the actors or you know no weird production snafus and i don't i don't know but i'm i'm definitely excited to see more like i think that it, it this is a really great start to potentially a, a pretty big universe of shows that i think could be really good well that just about does it for our first second ish episode of 2024 uh thank you so much for listening if you want to reach out to us there are a handful of ways you can do that First, we are on Twitter slash X. It's at TBMcast. We are on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. And you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We are on Twitch at twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia, where we are streaming Metal Gear Solid. Uh, Our our first stream is now live on our YouTube channel as well. So you can check that out. And we're trying to stream every weekend. Yeah, come check it out. Let us know what you think about the podcast or the streams or all that jazz. But uh, I guess that just about does it. So for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.